All right, praise the Lord. Good morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Title of my message is True Riches in Christ. True Riches in Christ. Now, at the beginning of chapter 12 of Luke, verse 1, you don't have to look there, but it probably just should just be down on the same page. Um, it says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, they were trampling one another. He began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So this chapter, he's going into the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and it's not just a few people that are around. He started to talk to his disciples, but then he had thousands of people around him. And with these thousands, he has one man that decides to yell out a question to him. And he says, someone in the crowd of thousands here says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now what you have is a man who has a dispute with his brother over an inheritance And it's very evident that this man believes he's right and his brother's wrong. And obviously, when you hear what Jesus answers, his answer is, you're basically money hungry. And so he proceeds to answer the question and to warn people about all kinds of lust for money. So he goes on, he says, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? He said to them, Take care and be on your guard, or beware and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Do you hear that? For a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, do you understand God is blessing this man because the only way the ground produces like that is by the blessing of God. Now, this man might have felt he was self-made as a rich man, but God had bountifully blessed the man. And it says, He thought to himself, What shall I do for I have nowhere to store all of my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. And listen to this last part but he is not rich for God, toward God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you touch this message, Lord. Lord, you know who this message is for, Lord God. Speak it directly, Lord. Lord, let him hear this message, Lord. Let him be on guard and let him be careful, Lord. And I ask that you just bless it, Lord, that you speak through me, Lord God, and hide me behind your cross, Lord. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. All right, I got one there. And then everybody said, Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. I was um I was at my house this week and um 
And really, you know, all through the week I pray about what the Lord would have me speak, and sometimes I pray long, long hours and just really seek the Lord for what He wants me to speak uh, to the church. And uh, this week I was um, just kind of looking around my house and I was thinking to myself, I've never had this much food in my house. And a lot of people right now are very similar to that because we, and I think it's wisdom, and I think it's something that we should do because we're not sure. In fact, I talked to a few grocery stores, said they're not getting their shipments like they normally do, and people are right now beginning to hoard again. And so a lot of things are running out in the grocery store, so you're very wise uh, to store up lots of uh, food and be prepared because uh, the Bible says that um, a wise man sees calamity coming. But as I was thinking about, you know, most people are trying to find extra areas to store food because we've stored more than we normally do. And I just, as I was thinking about it, I was just saying to myself, Lord, I, I can't remember ever having this much food and this much um, stored up and this much uh, savings, you know, in my account, and uh, just trying to prepare for what might, may or may not happen. And Lord, Lord spoke to me. He said, "Watch out." He said, "Be careful, because your barns are full." And I thought, man, you know what? An interesting thing for the Holy Spirit to tell me. And the, and the Lord just quickened my spirit that I needed to share this message to everybody. And so, obviously, I went to the Scripture in Luke 12, where the rich man has his barns full, and he says to himself, my barns are full so I can relax now. I can eat, drink, and be merry, and take it easy the rest of my life. And... I started thinking to myself, it's interesting what happens to us when we feel like we have everything we need. Like we look at ourselves and we say, man, I have enough food. I have the money saved up. I'm prepared for any calamity that might come. And I've taken care of all my needs. We pat ourselves on the back and we say, man, aren't you smart? And I think what the Lord's trying to say in this message is, have we taken care of all of our needs? Or is there are there things out there that are still needing to be taken care of? And Jesus gives us the answer loud and clear that, um, that man, in fact he says, man's life does not consist in the abundance of what he has, his possessions. And so there's something more that Jesus is saying that we have to have in storage. And that's treasures in heaven. And without that, everything is just temporary. Everything is not really true riches. They're temporary riches of what we store on earth. And so what I'm going to do is I get in this message. I'm going to go to another parable. And then I'm going to come back to this one. Because the other parable gives a lot of information Two, and the parable is in Luke chapter 16. 
And the hero of this story, the one Jesus is using as an example, now in this one, the, the, the fool is the rich man. In fact, Jesus literally calls him stupid or dumb or not intelligent because of the way he lived his life. He had no riches toward God, but he had all temporary riches and his soul was required of him way before he ever thought it would be. So he's a negative example from Jesus, but this parable is interesting because this guy is a low-down, bad actor. He's a scoundrel. He's not a good person. But Jesus said there's something about him that is positive that you need to take an example of. And so I think this one's very interesting. He said to his disciples, Luke 16, 1, he said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a, an account manager. Charges were brought against him for wasting his master's possessions. So there was a rich man. He had an accountant. The accountant took care of all of his riches, and he was charged with mishandling the finances and extravagantly spending the master's money. He wasn't doing good, wasn't a good guy. He was about to lose his job, okay? And it says, He called into his accountant and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in an accounting of your management because you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking my management away from me? He said, I'm not strong enough to work or labor or dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. So he's in a tight spot here. He's being fired by his ma- by the rich man, and he's got to figure out something to do. He's got to think on his feet a little bit here. So he says, here's what I've decided to do. When I am re- uh, For when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So what he's saying is, I have foresight here. I'm looking past this temporary job that I'm about to be fired, and I'm looking for my entire life after what's going to happen. And so this is what I'm going to do. He said, I summoned my master's debtors one by one, and he said to them, How much do you owe the master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, So he went to the first one. He said, I owe a hundred measures of oil. He said, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. So he only had to owe 50 to pay off 100 measures of oil. He took the next guy, and he said, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write out 80. So he lowered his bill to 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. You see what he did? He made friends by forgiving their money. So he used his wealth the wealth that was given to him to manage, to make friends. So when the temporary job was over, they would take him into their house and he would have a place to stay. Now Jesus uses this scoundrel as an example of how we should live our life. How does he do it? Let's see. He says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. He's uh, cutting you down there. He's saying this man was more shrewd than you are, those who deliver the gospel to the world. And why does he say that? He says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of your unrighteous wealth, so that when it fall, when it fails, you may receive 
you may be received into eternal dwellings. That means that when this world is over and your worth, your wealth has no more value, you'll be received into the homes of all those people you saved. So Jesus is saying, be sure to use wealth for the advantage of the kingdom. You know, no mistake about it what he's trying to say there. And then he goes on to say, one who is faithful in very little is faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is dishonest in much. And then if you have not been faithful in, with your unrighteous wealth, how can I entrust you with true riches? Wow. Awesome stuff in there. He used a dishonest manager and says, wow, this guy used his influence. And you say, well, I don't have a lot of money. He's saying use your influence as a charming person. If you're a charming person... Use your influence to win the lost. If you are somebody that has a great personality and makes friends, use your personality to win the lost. If you have time on your hands, use that time to win the lost. He's saying whatever resources you temporarily have in this world, use it to win the lost. Use it to build the kingdom. Use it for God's glory in faith. Start building riches in your retirement account in heaven. But sometimes we're so worried about winning riches in this world, whether it be influence or time for ourselves or things for ourselves. We use all of our influence um, for the world, and we don't ever forward any of that riches to heaven. And that's why he called the rich man a fool, because in the foolish man who was rich, everything was his. And he did a good thing. I mean, he managed his business well. He built up reserves. He had a great storage. But then when he thought to himself, he was like, what do I do? And never did it cross his mind to build the kingdom of heaven and transfer some of that riches, uh, which God blessed him with, to heaven. It all was temporary. Life was lost. And he became a fool because... All those resources could have been used for something good. Hallelujah. So let's look first at uh, three things that this parable is not trying to teach, okay? Number one, he is not condemning the fact that he did well um, with the riches, that, that he had riches, that he had wealth. He's not saying that the wealth is wrong in the parable. Uh, because there are lots of people in the Bible that had riches, and the Bible warns about riches. It says that riches can be a snare, it can be a trap, um, it can be deceitful. In fact, in Mark, uh, in the parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4, verse 19, it says that riches and the deceitfulness of riches actually choke the word out. The seed is planted, but it chokes it out. It becomes deceitful and it fools you. But riches in itself were given by God, and they were blessed with those riches. And so the problem wasn't the fact that he had been blessed by God. The fact was what he did with that blessing. And we're in a period called a period of thanksgiving, and if we're not thanking God for everything he's blessed us with, and you say, well, man, I don't have anything. But a lot of, a lot of you have health, a lot of you have resources, a lot of you have jobs, a lot of you have so many things to be thankful for. And one of the first clues that we're not using our uh, blessings from God for His kingdom is we're not thankful. Hallelujah. Second, 
He wasn't condemning the fact that he was successful. You know that the man was creative, had a mind for business. He wasn't condemning the fact that he built the bigger barn to preserve the corn or whatever the crop was. He wasn't condemning for his creativity with the business. What he was condemning for was the fact that after he had built the wealth, it was never transferred into eternal accounts. It was only kept temporary and only for himself. Number three, he wasn't condemning the enjoyment of his wealth. Um, in fact, in First uh, Timothy 6, I'll read a little bit here. It says, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wanted him to enjoy what he had blessed him with. The problem wasn't in the enjoyment of being blessed with something. The, the problem was the I will live at ease and I will eat, drink, and be merry and forget God. And that's what a lot of us do. You say, well, man, I'm not wealthy, but everything in your life is geared toward self. What am I going to do for myself? What's in it for me? What can I do for me? And what he's trying to tell us, Jesus is, he wants us to enjoy life, but our mind should always be moving toward, how can I turn this into eternal stock, not just temporary? And so as we go on here, Verse 21 of Luke 12 says, This is how it will be with anyone. That's a big word, anyone. He tells the story of the man building the bigger barns, forgetting God and being at ease, living for himself. And he says, Jesus in verse 21 sums up that parable and says, This is how it is with anyone. You notice he didn't just say, This is how it is with rich people. Because how many know resources come in many forms? Greed comes in many forms, as we'll talk about in a minute. He says, anyone who stores up things for himself and is, but is not rich toward God. He's not saying don't store up things for yourself. He's saying don't store up things for yourself, but fail to be rich toward God. That means you're turning temporary things into eternal stock. And praise the Lord, how awesome is it when how awesome is it to be full of eternal stock and eternal rewards and maybe even have nothing in this world? There are people in this world that are pover in poverty, but they are wealthy when it comes uh, to stock toward God, eternal riches. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here, always being about the Father's business. What does rich toward God mean? It means with this man, something went really wrong with his hoarding. Did you hear me? Something went really wrong with his hoarding. And hoarding is a word. It means to gather, constantly be gathering things to yourself, even if you don't need it, even if you'll never use it. It's being... Mindful of yourself and your needs to the um, detriment of those who are around you. You know, like I don't care about a single person's other needs. I just care about me, me, me. And that includes not just physical, but spiritual. You know, there can be people around you in extreme hardship, and we can not even notice it because we're only worried about ourselves. And spiritually, Surely there are people all around you that need the Lord. But think about the, the emotional hoarding. 
I don't like that person. That person doesn't treat me well, so I'm cutting them off because you want everything for me, and I don't want to win the lost. So it's okay for me to cut people off if I don't like them, and that's what we would call spiritual hoarding or emotional hoarding. Like, I'm not going to give them light. I'm not going to give them the gospel because I just am worried about me and my emotions. Okay, think about that. In fact, um, sometimes, listen to this, and, and, and apply this to yourself because I'm applying this to me. I mean, know that I haven't, I mean, I've noticed, I haven't reached the top of this thing. <laughs> okay, so these scriptures are for me and they're for you, but you can't apply it to other people, you've got to apply it to yourself. Are we just meeting our obligations to God, which means you're almost breaking even in your riches toward God, or are we trying to be rich toward Him? Are we meeting our obligations, or are we trying to transfer real wealth into the kingdom of God, a real reward? Are we getting up every day and saying, God, I want to transfer everything I have in this world, all my influence, um, all my relationships, everything that I do, am I transferring that into my faith and into God's kingdom, or am I getting up every day just trying to meet the obligations? Think about that. Ask yourself that question. Am I just meeting the obligation of being a Christian, or am I building true wealth by sacrificing time, talent, energy, and the big M word? Money. Maybe if I say it a little different, we'll hear it. Money, time, resources, energy, intelligence, personality. How many know that Jesus recommends through the scoundrel, the parable of the scoundrel accountant, he says, use those things, leverage them to build riches in the kingdom. Awesome. Praise the Lord. So Jesus goes on. What he means is investing in eternity Investing time, talents, money, heart, and worship, and serving people, and serving your church. Uh, I was really uh, happy to see the other day I talked to Dorothy, and uh, Dorothy wanted to make sure that we as a church pray. I believe the young man's name uh, is DeAndre, and she was at the hospital in um, rehab, and this young man was there struggling uh, because he had lost both legs. And Dorothy has had a time, you know, trying to recover, and now she had her gallbladder removed. And she called me not to ask prayer for herself, but she had been ministering to that young man in the rehab room, and she asked if she could start praying for him. And so she allowed him to lay hands on him and pray for him. She's been ministering to him in the rehab room. And how many know that is um, investing... Um, reward. She's been doing it her whole life, and here she is in her mid-80s in rehab, trying to recover, struggling, and she's calling me to ask for prayer for this young man that she's been ministering to. And that's truly building up riches in heaven. Plus, she constantly is trying to make sure she gets our attention because she wants to make sure her tithe checks gets to the church every week. Now, how amazing is that? That's somebody that's been investing in eternity her entire life, and I've never asked her. I'm almost embarrassed 
that I'm going to pick up her tide check because I'm not getting over there fast enough to get it. Or And now she's mailing it, so that's, that's really good. <laughs> but that's investing in eternity is what she's doing her entire life. Um, Paul puts it best. Let me, let me tell you how Paul deals. You say, well, man, somebody shouldn't be rich. You know, or maybe you should sell everything and not have a job. Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 30, warns them. He warns them in Thessalonians and Acts 20 that everybody should be working. And in Thessalonians, they said there's, he's heard that there's some among them that don't work. And he says, if they don't work, they don't eat. And uh, so Paul expects them to have jobs. And Paul says that some in the church will be rich, and he tells how they should behave as a rich person. Now, if God didn't want them to be rich, he would tell them to sell all of their possessions and not be. But Paul warns them very aggressively. If you look in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, he gives a command here. He said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, we will take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Did you hear that? Plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with great griefs. Now listen to this. But you, man of God, flee from this. Pursue righteousness Godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called when you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In sight of God who gives you everything and of Jesus Christ, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep the command without spot or blame. Now go down a few verses in verse 17. It says, Command those who are rich in the present world, not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in their wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for what? Our enjoyment. So he gives a very stark warning to the rich after saying that it is very destructive, it causes ruin, don't be attached to your wealth, And then he says, but if you are rich, don't be arrogant and be very cautious. Now, Jesus puts it even more aggressively. Jesus says, like I was told when I said that my cupboards were full, and he said, beware and uh, be on guard, you know, because your barns are full. Jesus says, beware and be on guard from every form of greed. So beware is a very interesting one. Beware is the word horeo. It means to see, observe, recognize, perceive, attend to it mentally and physically. In this passage, it means to see it or take care of it. In fact, uh, many other places this word is used, horeo in the Greek, and it literally means to see something. In fact, it's interpreted, they've seen something. And so what Jesus is asking you first to do is recognize Materialism. 
And you say, well, man, I don't have a lot of money, so I don't have to worry about the sports car in my driveway. But how many know when you get around Christmas time, materialism is a big thing in our country? And sometimes we can fall into the trap if we don't see it. If we don't see that we put so much stock in the things we have. So much stock in the things that we are not seeing change us. We can say to ourselves, man, you know what? I've got a great family. I've got great grandkids. I've got a great job. I've got everything I need. I've got food. I've got this. I've got that. And Jesus says, you fool. You didn't perceive. That's why it's called the deceitfulness of things. Because we can have all these things and say to ourselves, man, I have need of nothing else. And we can totally ignore the things of God and not be rich toward God and not see it even enter our life. In fact, it slithers in subtly. That's what Jesus is saying. Beware the word means see it because it's so subtle. And it's so subtle that we can go days without number the Bible says, and forget God. And so first Jesus says, beware. But then he adds another word to beware. And that extra word is, beware and be on guard. How many have ever heard the French term, on guard? That means take your defensive position because I'm about to stab you with a sword. So be defensive, be ready, because if you're not, you're about to get stabbed with a sword on guard. And so the Bible says, see it. Now when you look at this word that the Bible uses for on guard, it's the word philasso in the Greek. And listen to this, it says, keep watch, have your eyes open, lest anybody will escape, guard a person that he might remain safe, from violence from another person, or thing from being snatched away or being lost. So literally in Acts, they use this word when Paul is being guarded. And so the Bible says, see it, beware, because it's going to subtly grab a hold of your soul and choke out the word. I mean, if you had somebody who was in the room who wanted to choke you out, right, you would beware that that guy is about to sneak up behind me and choke me out. Well, that's what Jesus is saying things will do to your soul. Things will choke out any desire to serve the Lord. Then he says, Philasso, guard it. That means when you see yourself being blessed, be on guard. Be like a sentinel. Be like a, a guard that guarded Paul in a prison. Be careful lest that thing will sneak up on you and steal from you. So we got to be careful. God wants to bless us, but how many realize blessings and riches are dangerous to give to a person? God wants to bless us, but if we don't have the right spirit, it can choke out the word. Why does God want to bless us? He wants us to richly receive things that we can enjoy, but if we just enjoy the things God blessed us with, then you're being choked out at that moment. Because God wants you to be blessed, but you weren't on guard for the fact that God blessed you for a purpose. And that purpose is to build His kingdom and transfer some of that wealth over to the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And then it says, not only be on guard and beware, 
It says, beware of every form of greed. Every form of greed. What does that mean? That means it's just not money. It would be different if he said, beware of receiving lots of money. But he didn't do that. He said, beware of every form of greed. And every form of greed is, hey, every evening after I get off work is my personal time. I'm off work. It's my personal time, free time. That's my play time. You know, I, I, I will give God what's left after I've done everything I want to do. The problem is everything you want to do never ends. Harsh, right? So God is asking, yeah, enjoy the things I've given you, but remember, um, when you bring the tithe to the Lord, it's the first fruits, not the last fruits, or not the only rotten fruit that's left. It's first fruits. And so God wants us to begin to build stock in heaven. Hallelujah. Listen to this. Few people, this is from a commentary, few people think of the danger of getting rich. Most think that as they become great, they personally grow in proportion to their wealth. Yet there never is a more fatal error. A man is really measured by what he is, not by what he has. We may find a shriveled soul in the midst of a great fortune and a noble soul in the barest poverty. A man's real life is what would be left of him if everything he has were stripped off. His real worth is his character as it appears in God's sight. We will make a great mistake if our goal in life is simply to gather more worldly trinkets than our neighbor has. How about that? Wow. In fact, another commentary I was reading, he says, whenever I read verse 20, I can't help but think of a really nice man I knew in St. Louis. He was a top executive with a major corporation. He had a gorgeous home and an extensive investment portfolio. He was eagerly looking forward to his early retirement, but he didn't have time to serve or to be involved in anything other than Sunday morning worship. Even that was rather sporadic. Finally, he had his financial ducks in a row and he retired early. He was now set. He could now travel the world with his wife, make up to his children all the time that he had missed because of his crazy schedule, and even perhaps begin to serve the Lord. But less than six months after retirement, in his early 60s, he died of a massive heart attack. The story is repeated thousands of times every day. If you're not serving the Lord today, and you're not giving time for eternal reward, when will you do it? When is there ever going to come a time that you're going to be actively building the kingdom. Now, the Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. That means if this church does not have a vision, the people in these communities, our friends, our family, will perish. But it also means that if we have a vision, people won't perish. And church, can I tell you that this church has a vision. And that vision will win so many lost we can't even imagine. 
But we have to have people that are eager for eternal reward. If our entire church is not eager for eternal reward, you say, but Chad, I do a private devotion every day. I privately pray every day, and I'm asking you, if you want eternal reward, buy into the vision of this church. That means that we have to be there when we meet. We have to be there every week. We have to be there with a vision of what we're trying to build as a church. But if the people don't have a vision, the people will perish. You say, what if you have a vision and the people are too busy to follow the vision? The people will still perish. You have to have a vision. You have to spread it out. Let them read it so they can run with it. And if they don't run with the vision, the people will perish. And guess what? Our eternal bank account will not have an eternal reward that God wants us to have. God blessed us with all those resources to build that eternal account in in heaven. Five tests to see if one of the forms of greed have caught a hold of you. And you say, well, it's just money, right? No, it's not. It's your time, it's your energy, it's your money, it's everything. And um, here's five tests. Number one, are my thoughts more focused on personal or material things than the things of God? What do I spend more time thinking about? Can I tell you? I can answer that one real easy. I dream about the church all the time. My dreams are the church, and every once in a while, I have to back up and say, how's that going to affect me personally? But a lot of people that fail this number one test, it's I've got everything planned out personally to a T, but how's that going to affect my church time? Or maybe that question doesn't even come up. So that's test number one. Number two, am I willing to compromise what God's asking me to do in pursuit of my personal or material gain? Am I willing to compromise what God's calling me to do and sacrifice it for my personal gain, my personal life? That's a question you've got to answer. It's a test. Do I enjoy personal and material things more than I enjoy the things of God? You say, man, those are tough questions, but can I tell you, I've been a busy man my whole life, and I can answer those pretty easily. Godly character beats anything I do personally. Material things don't compare to the things of God. Church, we've got to answer these questions. How do I respond when I lose material things? Wow, this is going to affect my bank account. This is going to affect what I wanted to do. I wanted to have this. I wanted to have that. I want to have a nice Christmas. I want to have kids have nice things. But how do you feel when you lose the things of God? Like, man, I really wanted my kids to know God. I really wanted them to know what it means to be thankful during the holidays. I really wanted them to be close to God. Well, you don't have the ability now to be at church. That's okay. we got more free time. (laughs) 
or you're going to lose your ability to do this, or you're going to lose your ability to do that. Well, that's okay. It's all expendable in the house of the Lord. Do you get nearly as worked up when you lose the things of God as when you lose material things? That's a question and a test. And the last one. Everybody said, thank the Lord. (laughs) What would I do if I suddenly came into a lot of money or a lot of time or a lot of people that are brought before me that I can influence? You say, well, it's easy. I would um, get a bigger house. (laughs) I would get another car. I would uh, pay off all my bills. Shouldn't it be that when we come into something that's more than what we need, we say to ourselves, man, how many souls could I influence with this time that I have? How many people could I mentor? How many people could I take the extra time to talk to? And you know, um, and so that's a question we need to ask. And I'm going to close with this final story here, and the worship team can come up. A man, and I want you to listen very carefully to this story, a man decided to make all the necessary arrangements for the day of his funeral. He picked out his burial plot. He chose the exact inscription he wanted carved on his headstone. And he made every arrangement necessary for his funeral. He went to the minister to make the final arrangements. He knew the minister very well. And he knew that he was busily preparing for his inevitable day of death. So he went to the man and he said, I understand that you've done everything you possibly can do to provide a resting place for your body. He said, but let me ask you a question. Have you given any thought to a resting place for your soul? The man was stunned by the question, for it was true He hadn't thought at all about getting ready for the life to come. After listening to the minister explain the gospel, he placed his trust in Christ for salvation and found assurance in eternal life and rest. Can I ask you a question? It makes total sense to prepare for your final day, right? But why doesn't anybody ever plan for, you know, there's an analogy that a man used one time that I've seen. He had a rope. And the rope was long, went all the way across the room. And he held the very end of that rope, and he said, this is your life, and this is eternity. And that doesn't even really make you understand how long eternity is. It just gives you a little tiny visual picture that we're living a very temporary life, and eternity is going to be forever And so you may have all your funeral arrangements, you may have your retirement, you may have all these things planned out how you're going to live your life, but you are a fool if you haven't given thought to where your soul will rest for eternity. And is there any reward for me there? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I love you so much, Lord, and I just pray that perspectives would change, Lord God, that faith would rise to the top, Lord God, in every life, that it would be um, the number one thing is our faith in you, Lord God, and our you know, Lord, and our um, desire to serve you, our desire to be about your Father's business and eternal things, Lord God. And Lord, I would pray that everybody that is uh, within the sound of my voice would have an account in heaven 
um, and they would have riches beyond um, belief, Lord God, and in, in, in the faith and the actions, Lord God, and the things that they're doing for your kingdom, Lord God. Let us not live in this temporary world and this time, this season of materialism, Lord. Let it be all about you, Lord. And I pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. And let me just ask you right now, if you're at home and um, you're listening to this message and uh, you're going to have to be honest with yourself because, um, in fact, let me, I'm going to tell a quick story. I shouldn't take more time, but I read a, an analogy, analogy about a man who trained dogs. And he said that these dogs sometimes would get a lust for his sheep. They'd be hungry for the blood of the sheep and to eat those sheep. And he said it was fascinating to watch the dog's behavior who had trained and he knew the dogs very well. He said those dogs would only do that at night when nobody was looking. But during the day, the dogs that were guilty, because he knew the ones that were guilty, he said the dogs that were guilty during the day were the most behaved dogs you've ever seen. He said they'd stay close to the pen, close to the barn. The other ones didn't act any differently, but the ones who misbehaved did it when nobody was looking. And he said it was a telltale sign of which dogs were guilty of the offense. And can I tell you something? We're a lot like that. And you say, well, man, you're calling me out. Who are you? We are like that. We think that we're not guilty. We think that we're living right. We think that we're um, giving everything, heart, soul, and mind to the Lord. But sometimes we just look the part too. And we know that we're guilty. And so I'm asking you today, you may be somebody that walks in and says, man, you know what? I'm doing everything right. And I would say to you, like Jesus said, beware, be on guard, be careful, because you may have so many things, you may be like the Pharisees. In fact, the Pharisees, after he said this, they sneered at him because they were very rich and they laughed at him for what he said. And uh, so I would just ask you this morning, make an altar in your living room. Um, repent make a commitment to say you know what we're going to be on guard we, we're just like you said Chad we're sidetracked by things and we neglect the house of the Lord and I would just ask you to pray together don't get mad at me it's not my message it's the Lord's he quickened me and made me feel bad too uh, let's close in a word of prayer and if you need prayer you want to give your heart to the Lord maybe you are backslidden uh, now is the hour. Don't be like the fool in the parable. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. And uh, Lord, let this word find a place, Lord God. Let us be honest. Let us beware. Let us be on guard from every form, Lord God, of greed. Bless this word, Lord God. Quicken it, Lord. Help us, Lord. Bless us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.
message, True Riches in Christ. And I want to close with another story I had heard years ago. And I uh, just want you to really, in fact, if you are eager for the riches of the world, you're called greedy. But the Bible calls it acceptable to be greedy for the riches of the world to come, to build up riches in heaven. And I was told a story years ago about a missionary. And the missionary, for many years, he'd been in the field. He'd been all over the world, and he'd sacrificed everything and uh, done so much incredible work for Christ. But during his entire missionary um, career, there was one lady in Georgia that always gave him money. She was constantly forwarding money to this missionary. And so over the years, he had never met her. He just had her name and address. And so he got toward the end of his career, and he said, I have to meet this woman because she's given more to my ministry than anybody has ever given. And so in his mind, he kind of pictured a very wealthy southern woman in Georgia that just happened to have a lot of money and gave to his ministry. So he decided to look for her house. And when he found her house, he thought he went to the wrong place. Because she lived in a little shack. She was completely blind. And it was an elderly black woman. And as he walked on the porch, she began to cry. And he said, I can't thank you enough. You don't know how many lives you changed. And can I tell you something? He didn't get the wrong house. That was a very wealthy southern woman. She lived in a shack. She had no money. She was blind. But her riches in heaven probably are greater than any person that you know. That's a woman that understands what Jesus is saying. She gave every bit of extra money she had to help a missionary. Hallelujah. And we can do that every day, church. We can do things beyond what anybody would expect if we understand the principle that Jesus is saying. It's better to give than receive. Remember that around Christmas. Better to give than it is to receive. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let us be mindful, Lord God, of the dangers, Lord God, of our possessions. Let us be mindful, Lord God, of the uh, need, Lord, that more than just food and clothes and material things, but the need to be rich toward you, Lord God, in heaven. Lord, bless us, help us, Lord. Strengthen us. Let your spirit quicken us, Lord. Just like I was quickened with the word, Lord God, let your church constantly be quickened, Lord God, of the good news, Lord. It's better to give than to receive, Lord. Bless this church, Lord. Bless your people. Bless those who are listening. In your name I pray. Amen.